Yo, yo, yo. I'm, I, why am I starting with yo, yo, yo like I'm like some hip-hop clown straight away? Um, anyway, hello. How you doing? Hello. Yo, yo, yo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here we are, Freel Style, once again, um, the music and marketing show, uh, where I'm kind of a little bit more me and less full of shit or more full of shit. I'm not entirely sh- sure. But um, anyway, we're still talking about business, but um, focusing a bit more on music and marketing. But I'm joined today by... One of one of my favorite people, actually, just for your unbelievable dark sense of humor. <laughs> That's the weird reason. Like, I feel the same way about you, which is just like, I don't think people really see the side of you, but you've got an incredibly dark sense of humor uh-huh. as well. So I'd love to expose some of that today. <laughs> <laughs> that just might happen. Uh, anyway, so for the folks at home, we want to just say a little bit about who you are and why the hell I'm talking to you. I am Stuart Brenner. I'm a music video director um, under the name Shootback, and I've been doing it for 12 years now. I've been working with everyone from independent artists to major labels, whoever's paying the bill. I like long walks on the beach and boys that treat me right. <laughs> um, I don't doubt it. I do not doubt it for a second. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I seem to have known you forever. Um, and, it must uh, be like five or six years now, at least. Yeah, it must yeah. must be more than that. Yeah, no, yeah, at least, at least. Yeah, because yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm ten years actually. Because I mean, I was working on uh, you know a country music project, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we were talking about. That um, must have been round about that that, that time was two, as well. That was like 2010, 2011. Wow, we're getting old. That's yep. crazy. Yeah. Um, it's really, really scary. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I mean, I've always said that I'm, you know, I'm such a fan of your work because you just don't give a shit. Um, and I just love how, and, and, I, and I've said this to you before, I use the word visceral all the time uh, to describe your, your, your stuff, but it's just, you've just got this quality and this edge to it that I just really, really like. There's just a grittiness to it. Um, Thank you. Can you write that down and I can show my parents so they don't think I'm a failure? <laughs> yeah, I, I, kind of, I think we're all a bit like that creatives. It's kind of like, yeah, can somebody prove that I actually, <laughs> I really do know what I'm doing? And yeah. Yeah. Can someone give me a certificate for visceral, please? Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, no, it's, there's just, I mean, is that like a conscious decision whenever, whenever you're doing something that's like, you know, you know, bugger, I actually really want to just kind of do something that's just got a bit more, I, I hate to use the word, edge or edgy but it, there it, it's just there's a realness to to what it is that you're doing um i think it, i think it just becomes like because i'm such a film fan and such a music fan and sort of by proxy a music video fan as well like if i'm in a meeting with someone and we're trying to create an idea if you can very very quickly come to the idea and be like okay we should play in like a dark abandoned warehouse and they can pull up like 20 examples of that or quickly come up with references. I'm like, why, why would we do that? Because we, why make something that has been done a million made. times yeah. before? Yeah. yeah, you don't learn anything. I don't learn anything. And um, it just kind of gets lost in the, the gray area, you know, mm-hmm. because it's oversaturated. So definitely like, there's always, there is a conscious effort just to at least try and add a little bit of something um, that would be unexpected uh, in that. I really, really like doing that with some artists of um, taking them out 
I've said to some artists as well, with like, imagine that you're a fan of your music. What's the last thing that, that people would expect you to do? Yeah. Let's go, let's go do something like that. Don't be predictable, you know, because you know yourself, it's so hard to even retain five minutes of people's, two minutes of people's attention these days. And if you're just looking like the same as everything else, you're just, people yeah. aren't going to check it out. Um, yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it's because of that though, that, you know, any, any anything that I'm, I see that you do is it's just always compelling. Um, not just, the, not just the music videos, the, <laughs> So the, some of the videos that you've been um, shooting just now during lockdown. Um, what's what's the name of your your bagpipe playing guy, Danny? Oh, oh Danny, Ke- Danny, Danny Kelly. Danny Kelly is based off a real person. Um, he is a he's a he's a drummer, and um, and all of the all of my big music videos, I get the letters FDK, which is Danny Kelly. Um, right. somewhere in the background as like a subtle nod and people think we absolutely hate each other but I couldn't have any more love for the guy it's just like a wee stupid easter egg it's become a stupid joke One of these things, right? neither of us can seem to put down so yeah Danny Kelly's a real guy some guy but the uh, the bagpipe one I was just literally crying uh, just I was like how, how can he actually take it this far with this guy that's that's COVID boredom for you, you uh, know. That's really, like sitting down of an afternoon, and we just we we can't we can't stop. You so know? for the folks at home, um, you gotta you gotta check. What have you got a name for the? Is this video got a title? It's, or is it's it just on your nothing. It's just like it's just on the Facebook. I'm pretty sure it'll still be public if anyone's interested. Yeah, my name uh, yeah, check it out. It. It's and it's Stuart is playing bagpipes, um, and we all know how hilarious. Backpack playing can be if you're not. It's this. harder than it looks. I thought it would be able to get a note out of it. That's I don't know how anyone does that. It's crazy. No, it is actually it's it is an incredibly difficult thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. um yeah, so I was I was I was thinking about um you know the the various different things that we could have talked about um doing over the over the years. And I always remember I was like, well, I'm kind of deeply insulted by that, but kind of, I get what you mean. But I remember you, you were interested in doing a, like a day in the life kind of profile on me, which I thought was hilarious. Um, yeah. But you just, you described me as being David Brent, but talented. Um, <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I kind of, I, I totally get where you're coming from, but um, I was like, this, this could just go, so wrong because most people just wouldn't get the joke um and just i think get- more people would get the joke but it's because it's not even a joke like i think the bit of my how i've come to describe you in the later years is like the elvis of mogai like <laughs> you're just you're just greg Friel. you are a singular unit with uh, no hint of irony whatsoever and yeah. it's not it's not an obnoxious way it's not um you're not playing a character you just are a character you you can't you can't not be yourself, and I really really appreciate people that are a hundred percent themselves, regardless mm. of what that is. And I, I don't know, you're just hilarious. Thank you. Um, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, as a compliment. But, but I, I well, this is the thing is that do you know this is the whole idea between doing this podcast and say the other podcast. I always think that there's still a layer of professionalism that I have when I'm doing it, you know, if I'm interviewing some business people or whatever, I'm kind of like, yeah, 
and I feel like I, I kind of keep myself in check that I really shouldn't say that or ask that question or, or whatever when really you're so tempted to say really is that really what you think and you know how when you when you meet people and if uh, networking events and that kind of thing you kind of like there's this veneer of hi I'm such and such and I work for such and such and you're kind of like uh-huh what, what kind of music you like or it's some, some kind of real conversation you catch anything yeah. decent on tv last night you know as opposed to I'm being super professional and there's this veneer and I hate the veneer thing. You know, I'm always, yeah. I'm always wanting to just be kind of like, hi, how's it going? Right. I'm just, we're just normal people. Can you, can we, can we cut, just cut the crap and just be not weird? Yeah. You know? I, I usually find people that can sort of drop the artifice and just get straight into like actually talking about real things. And we've had some, you know, deep conversations and some surreal conversations and some funny conversations, but we've never had a boring conversation. We've never no. just even done the small talk things. So I've always appreciated that about our, our, our friendship is like, you know, you're not a, you're not a, in an industry full of bullshitters, you're not, you're not a bullshitter whatsoever. You're well, unmistakably Greg. Well, I think the thing, the thing is that, I mean, there's a lot of people um, who, whenever they get, said oh you, sh you should work with greg but you need to know that he will tell you exactly what he thinks but yeah. like it's not like i'm like i'm going to be horrible and be insulting you know my whole thing is and, and like yourself your whole your whole your job is to get the absolute best out of who you're working with totally. um so the only way you're going to do that is by being honest and constructive but um and you know you, you want to build them up but yeah if, i think there's a kind of disarming thing that you definitely have and like what I try to like do when we're working together, I've always just said like a director's job should be to facilitate greatness. That's it. To get people in a room and you have to be their biggest fan yeah. and toughest critic and try and as cheesy as it sounds, you know what I mean? Just create a, a safe space for them to, to but fuck, but, oh, uh, mess up. Yeah. Sorry, okay. Nearly, I'll, bleep, nearly, I'll, bleep, I'll bleep that later on. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, no, but th this is the thing. There's, um, you know, it's it's all about different. Well, if, if if we were talking about this in a business context, right, I'd, be, I'd be talking about different leadership styles and different approaches for how you deal with certain situations. And the way I am as a producer in the studio with different artists, every person is different. So my approach is going to be different. There's some some people I need to be massively supportive and, and encouraging with, and other people, it's kind of like you're wasting my time, and you kind of need to give my kick up the ass, and then they're like, oh. Right, okay, uh, yeah. and and but more than anything else, you know, I want to keep it light and have a laugh if we can. Um, yeah. But um, there was you know a, a really good friend of mine. Um, in fact, I'll mention him uh, by by name, Jared uh, Jared MacArthur. He does a gospel choir called the Geo Gospel Choir, mm -hmm. and uh, I've known Jared for uh, about ten years as well. And we were working together on some solo album material for him a long time ago, and uh, one of the first sessions that we had in the studio he was doing vocals um and he was a little, little nervous and kind of holding back and he really needed to kind of start to kind of loosen up and, and relax and and he did like first take i was like yeah yeah you know that, that wasn't bad that was not bad pretty good um but can you do it again but just a little less shit <laughs> and he's like he's never forgotten me saying that because it literally it broke the ice with him and he and he chilled and, and he was kind of like all right okay fine but yeah. focused, you know, there was like, okay, yeah. right. Um, 
and it's just like sometimes things like that can just be the, the thing that, that breaks the ice, you know? I, I mean, like, there's, I don't know why, I consider myself not to have a real job. Like, it's a made-up job. No one should get paid to be a music video director. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We've got nurses and doctors and people that run into build, burning buildings. It's, it's, har- it's so, hardly essential. Oh, absolutely. A million percent. Um, I'm so fortunate that I still find people dumb enough to keep giving me money <laughs> to do this. Um, but, like, when people take it really, really seriously, I just have to remind them that, like, we don't work for the, the, we don't work for the council. You know, yeah. it's, it's... This isn't life and Have death. fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but even, like, I would imagine in other businesses as well, like, there's just... I don't know, it was in one of your other previous podcasts I was listening to, it was a woman and she was just saying, like, you know don't be a dick and that's like one of my personal mottos like you just there's no unless someone's been a dick to you first then you know do as you wish but there, there's, exactly there's no yeah. Yeah. yeah and and there's and there's no reason i mean we i think we can all be artistic and you know and spread our wings artistically with what what it is we're doing but understand that well if you're if you're doing a job for somebody you know and if you're shooting a video for you know a major record company then you're going to stick within certain guidelines and you know, certain parameters so that it's still commercial and it's, you're not going to be shooting a david lynch style video you know what i mean yeah you know? definitely i think it's it's the kind of like and what i'm finding kind of refreshing about the music industry these days is like the big labels crumble and smaller labels open up as like they're less concerned about how you get their final product they just care about getting it on time. Like the, the amount of trust that um, either new versions of major labels or independent labels sort of put in is, is, is just really, really refreshing. That are just like, right, here's the money. See you in four weeks when you've done it. Whereas it used to be like being CC'd into emails with 22, 23 people all giving input into like, so what lights are you using for this? And I'm like, who are you? Yeah, I Barry mean, I, in New York. Who's this? Uh-huh. I mean, and there's all that kind of stuff. That, I mean, I, and it, this is the stuff that most people are really unaware of. That you know, that that don't work in the industry. You know, and they're kind of like you don't realize that you know you're doing your thing and or what you want to do, but it it has to get past this barrier of countless other people before you you actually get something out. Um, and whether that bears any relation to what you actually wanted to do in the first place is, you know, probably a long shot. But that, I think this is the thing that can be really great about working independently. Yeah. Um, in that you, you tend to get more control over what it is that you're doing. Um, and there's more of a, I mean, people are obviously serious about the work that they're doing, but there can just be more of a, we're all in this together kind of attitude rather than, big evil corporation that I'm telling you what you what to do, you know? Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to understand the record business over the past, like, because I only really feel it's got better over the past two or three years um, with a lot of indie labels getting decent amount of money and artists with exposure. It's easier to frame it now, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, but they were a failing business, a catastrophically failing business for a long time. I'm sure you remember paying, as I did, 17, 18 quid for a CD yeah. once or twice. And then to, from it, to go from that to zero is like, 
what other business would be able to survive that, you know? Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, how, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like, what do you think is the sort of like major changes well, that the you thing, noticed? Well, the thing is for me was that, I mean, I basically, there was a business model that existed and that was kind of how I was able to make money. And then that yeah. disappeared. Um, so, you know, you were able to work, you know, there's development funds, you know, um, there used to be for, you know, record companies. And then when kids got laptops and became producers that way, then it's like, well, we don't need to spend money doing that anymore. Um, then you got the advent of streaming, which kind of totally wiped out whatever income you had from, um, you know, mechanical royalties from sales of CDs and stuff. Yeah. But then, so for me, you know, there was, I suppose, the, the mental struggle of kind of getting around how, how do I fit in in this the new paradigm, you know, because it's not the way it used to be. So where is the, the space for someone like me? And then you find that it kind of starts to sort itself out. Um, and then, you know, this, this new version of the industry starts to kind of take shape. Um, Sorry to interrupt. It might be a little bit helpful when you can batter and explain that, explain for people what the deal used to be and what it is now, pre-streaming and post-streaming, like what a record contract, just in layman's terms of like what an artist was entitled to and how streaming has really, really affected artists. Because I think a lot of people are aware that it does affect artists, but I don't think a lot of people are really aware about the, the minutiae of a record deal. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, record deals are constructed for record companies to make money, not for artists to make money. So it's always going to be, well, certainly the way the way it used to be was, you know, massive budgets for, for videos, massive budgets for promo and all sorts of things. And that was getting written off against against your royalties before you would make any money. So if an artist signed a, a contract back in the day, um, you would be getting your advance up front, but then it's going to be a, a, a long time before you're actually going to recoup that advance and then start making any sizable chunks of money unless you make, you know, sell millions and millions and millions of records. But, yeah. the way, you know, the way it used to be, obviously, was with CD sales, you were making money on every sale and it was, you know, a reasonable sum of money. Um, but with streaming, that's just literally, imagine, like you say, it just went to zero. You know, um, I mean, I think that, I can't even remember the exact figure, but the average stream is like 0 0.0007 pence yeah. you know, per stream. And you're, you're kind of like, what? So then if, if as is the case with so many uh, general pop records, there's like six, eight people on a track, how, are you ever making any money? As a writer, no. Uh, yeah. You can still make money from PRS, but it's still uh, you know, from from getting records played on radio and and, and TV and that, that sort of things. But it's obliterated from really what it, what it used to be, you know. Yeah. But but, um, but it's an incredible time to be an independent artist. Definitely, I think it, it's one of the great things really about why I'm able to to do the job I get in at the. the the very birth of YouTube. Like when I started making music videos, I think YouTube was only about seven or eight months old. You weren't even offering high definition video uploads. And I was having to convince people that music videos would be a good idea, where they were like, where are you gonna show it? The TV won't even take them. And then that quickly fell away. And then 
it, it's very much democratized the process, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I, I can see it's a, it's a redistribution of wealth and I often find that, like, I can see where it has probably affected you as a writer, um, for sure. But even, I didn't really hear a lot of artists get really that annoyed when streaming first came out because they were losing money that they were never entitled to anyway because the money from the the record as you pointed out goes immediately to like publishing and you know the major yeah i mean i think the thing is if you're a major artist and you you're making money and there's so many other income streams that you have available to you um you know touring is you know it used to be the other way around but touring is like the main source of income now which is why ticket prices are so crazily expensive and yeah. i always I always find that one hilarious when people like you know artists trying to say oh it's the promoters you know ma- making money no no you're not fooling anybody you guys are complicit in this yeah. you know you want you want to make x from the tour fine the ticket prices are going to be that and that's how you're going to get that money so yeah. you know there's ways for artists if you're a major artist to, to make money but the little guy it's still the flip of that you can but you can make money if you if you own your masters and if you actually own your recordings you can make a really nice living on spotify if you build an audience if you build an audience on there you can literally be bringing in thousands and thousands of pounds yeah um but if you were just a writer forget it you know um i'm connected on facebook with saida garrett who incredible pop writer and she wrote man in the mirror with glenn ballard uh, for um Michael Jackson, and I just can't stop loving you. She recorded that with him, and I mean, she's written like some really, really big hits. But that song in particular is one of the most successful songs of all time, yeah. and it had thirty million streams on Pandora. And she, she, she shared this on Facebook. She said, "Listen, I've just got a statement in for Pandora, and that's thirty million streams." And it's like $1,600. Split that with the writer. So that's 800. Then, you know, it's like 30% to the publisher, 20% to my manager. You know, you can like Starbucks money. Yeah. For one of the most successful records of all time. Yeah. So if you're a writer and that's your sole source of income, what the hell's going on? Yeah. You know? I mean, I wouldn't even like mind what is Spotify now. Like, ah, must use Spotify for about three or four hours a day at least. Yeah. Um, and it's like a tenner a month. I wouldn't, like, if it was 30 quid a month, I'd probably still pay it. If it was a pound a day to do it, if the funds were redistributed a little bit better, um, I think most people would probably be willing to pay now that it's just been so, you know, a part of our culture. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. And it's always, it always goes the same way. People are like, oh, I'll never do that. I'm not going to do that. And then it just becomes the norm. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Stop buying CDs, stop buying, stop buying tracks, you just stream it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If it was a little bit more fair, you know, because like I said, I think people are aware that it's hurting artists, but then again, it's like, well, they don't really care because they, they feel like they can't really do anything about it. And, but like the best way that you had pointed out is if you really want to help an artist, unless they've got a ridiculous 360 deal going on, go to a show, buy a t-shirt, mm-hmm. buy two t-shirts, you know, um, I kind of joke with bands now that like we're just glorified t-shirt salesmen now because at the mm. end of the day 
that's about the only thing that's going to pay the bill, get someone through the door and sell my T-shirt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, there's, there's still a market for um, mementos and souvenirs, you know. So, I mean, and I think you know, there's, there's always going to be people who want to buy the vinyl or buy the, the, the CD because it's like, oh, I actually have this tangible thing that shows yeah. I'm a fan, you know. Yeah. There's that. Um, and I always think that the, the strange thing is for me is that, like at Christmases and birthdays, quite a lot of the time I would gift music to people. And like, and it, like, how do you do that now? Give them a, a, a voucher for something, you know? And, and if they're just on a streaming service anyway, they're paying that anyway. So how does that work? Yeah, I, I agree with that. That is a sad thing, but I think I often use the example: we live in a world where you can get Sri Lankan death metal at two o'clock in the morning if you want it. You know, the amount of music that I've discovered that I probably would have never discovered. Um, what the hell does Sri Lankan death metal sound like? Do you want to start a band? <laughs> <laughs> I think we can we can uh, do that. That sounds Jeez. fun. Wow. So yeah. what what have you been actually able to do? I mean, in, in the lockdown situation, I mean, obviously we're not being able to tr- travel and go anywhere and do anything. Um, but, you know, I mean, you're able to kind of shoot content in and around you know, where you live and, and that kind of stuff, which is keeping us all entertained. Um, but, um, you know, are you able to just kind of think, okay, this is what I'm, I'm going to, we're, we're planning this, we're going to be doing that. Um, yeah, like it was very much like a break to begin with because I'd, for about three years there, I counted that I only had 11 days off in three years. And those are including Christmases and four or five days when I got the flu. It was every day working at least, 12, 13, 14 hours. I, I checked my car the other day and I've had my car for for a year and a half and I bought it secondhand with 16,000 miles on there and today I passed 130,000 miles. That is insane. Just in my car, we hire cars for productions or get given cars for productions as well. So it's like constantly on the road and constantly... Yeah, pushing myself way, way too far. So one nice side effect of COVID has been I've been able to stop for a little while and just sleep and Mm -hmm. just sort of, you know, try to figure out, as dumb as it sounds like, take some time and just going to go for a walk or just Mm going to go. um, Because you'll know yourself, there is that that weird pressure when you're self-employed that... uh, it's something that I, I kind of half envy of people that have 95s or what I miss from working in 95 is like when it's five o'clock, you're done. That's it. Mm-hmm. Your boss can't phone you. You can't do anything else. Whereas you, as well as I do work with people in the States and they are, you know, either five or seven Crazy. hours yeah. behind us. And it's like suddenly someone wants a phone call at two o'clock in the morning and you yeah, have I mean, to do it. We were doing a, a, I remember doing a thing and it was for Universal and, London and there was a guy who's uh, I was co-producing with a guy in New York uh, so what was happening was I'd work on the track till about 11 or 12 and then send him uh, you know what it was I was working on and then he'd mix so that the guys in Universal would have it by you know nine o'clock in the morning you know London time and it's just yeah. that we live in that world now where, where we're just able to do that and just kind of keep things going um, but it, it can be quite difficult to switch off, you know. Um, certainly for me, it, it's been it's been weird because I have be- become massively, massively creative again after after kind of when I said to you before 
um, that I'd taken a break from the actual industry side of things. I was still obviously still making music and working yeah. locally with people, but not chasing anything or, or actively kind of pursuing doing anything industry-wise. And that break has really just done me the world of good because now I'm just super excited about actually getting back and doing it. Um, and you're just like, yeah, that, this is who I am. This is, this is what I do. Mm. So uh, what, what has happened is that energy that you think of, uh, am I just getting old and I can't actually handle the hours anymore? But literally the past three weeks, I've been like working in the studio to three in the morning, then getting up at seven and then continue work, 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 and literally just loving it, just thriving on the adrenaline and the buzz from actually just doing what is arguably my best work, you know? And why, why do you think, why do you think it is, is now? Because there's no time pressure on it or like, why do you think you've been able to make good stuff now? Because, well, I think, I mean, from a, from a personal point of view, there's, you know, there's, I've had so much shit industry wise that you kind of like, really, what's the point? Um, and, and you, and that's never been me. I've always been super positive and just kind of like, you know, you know, find, don't see obstacles, just see opportunities and just crack on. But, um, I've really just was like, yeah, I mean, obviously I love making music and, but what's the point if, it's not actually going to break through or, or whatever. Um, and whenever you've have loads and loads of disappointments, like back to back without actually having that chink of light, then you can like, Eek. yeah. Um, so I kind of, that, I really and, and need that. Sorry to interrupt. I think that's like one of the things that people don't really know about the creative industry and particularly the, the music industry and even like the media, like, shows like entourage kind of like that people think that that's a show people like that exist all oh, the God, time yeah. it's just like and these are people that we have to deal with all the time so i think it's hard for people to to really and it's crying me a river with us sitting here with our fake jobs and getting to do what we want but like it, it's also an incredibly an incredibly savage industry sometimes you know oh, people totally. don't give a shit and people will oh it's, it's awful i mean the amount of times when especially when i'm when i'm working with you know businesses now that are you know out with the music industry and then you in, inevitably they ask questions and then you start telling them and you, you start explaining things like oh no no i never got paid for that and i'm like what yeah and like no no they, they just bankrupted the, the company so that I, I wouldn't actually get paid and you're like what and they don't get that that's just kind of like that's the norm you know, you, yeah. you, you, I went to I went to university. I, I did a business degree, but that counts for shit when it comes to the music industry because yeah. it just doesn't work like that. Um, and, and people always say the same thing. You know, but do you have a contract? Of course I've got. But I'm, am I going to take on one of the biggest major record companies in the world and their legal team for yeah. a few grand? No, yeah. it's never going to yeah. happen. So um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just all of that and. But I think what happens is uh, the thing. I think the thing for me, what happened was, I was really, I, I, I do never, I never ever want to be the better old guy. You know, I'm just like, you know, I, I'm going to get where I want to go um, eventually, and mm-hmm. and you know, 
but what what happened was I was starting to resent it. Um, and I was like, okay, I need a break because I'm just pissed off and angry with this all the time. R- yeah. Rather than feeling excited and, oh, this could be something. You know, it was just like, yeah, it's another opportunity for me to get screwed, you know? Um, and I actually find that's a weird thing with it creativity and you can tell me if you feel this way yourself but it's like when you don't give a shit about the outcome you're just like i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna spend the day noodling about in a guitar mm-hmm. i think like indifference is the difference that makes the difference that's a fairly common phrase but like when you don't give a shit about something it kind of seems to work out that's terrible advice to give people mm-hmm. of like don't really care that much but that is half a protection mechanism so you don't lose your soul and also, you know, don't expect too much of it. Just try and do the best, except that failure will come. So I'm kind of glad to hear that you picked it up again. I mean, the thing is, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's all super cheesy and, you know, um, but it's just, it's just very real for me. I mean, it, the past few weeks, I've just been like, this is who I am. You know, I can do all this other stuff and that's great. And I really enjoy that. And I love all the creative so things no matter what it is. Um, but whenever I'm actually making music from scratch and creating something and like, wow, okay. There's just no greater thrill for me. And I, I literally, I like, I've been like four hours sleep, five hours sleep. <laughs> and my wife's just been like, you look amazing. You know, how, how are you looking good on four hours sleep? I'm like, well, the weather was nice and I got a tan. But yeah. Um, but, but you know what it's like yourself. You know, it's like whenever you're in the thick of it, that's that's the stuff that makes you really, really thrive. Oh, like there's been times where it's been, you don't, I actually don't really know how like either badly my life was falling apart or how ill I was getting until I was done. You know it, it's, I, I hear musicians talking about it like tour hangover or just after a project, it's a sort of, like the other thing is like, what I think probably a lot more people will be able to understand is the day after you come back from holiday, you're like, oh man, we're here again. There is an empty feeling when you're kind of, when when you're done and the, the feeling that you were just describing there sort of um, masks a lot of like the pain and the heartache and all the things that you're going through. If you're enjoying what you do, that's, I don't think there's anything mm-hmm. better than that. Anything more fulfilling than that, you know? Yeah. No, for I'm... me personally, I can't speak for everyone else, but like I get really, I get really frustrated when, and I feel quite empty when I'm not creating something, regardless of what it is. Yeah. I like working on a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. But, and I, but I think that's the whole creative process you know the joy of it you know there's there's the the wonderful terrible joy of being frustrated (laughs) but you know by the the whole process you're kind of like this is amazing but awful you know um and i think that the key to that is is like what i've often said about creativity is like i can again i can only speak for me as like it's not really about a talent thing it's about the ability to accept that you're shit for the first nine hours until you get to the 10th hour and make something good. I heard this real estate person talk um, about how she knew great people was uh, people that 
made a mistake or lost money on something, she timed how long they usually would lose a deal when they'd go out for lunch or out for a walk. She knew the great people by the amount of time it took them to get back to their desk and actually do. Like, I'm sure you've had, as well as every creative person has, like catastrophic failures that are so heartbreaking. You, you, pour, you pour your heart and soul when you're vulnerable to it, but mm-hmm. like, just walk it off and try again. That's an incredible, a hard thing to even still to, to do, but I think it's the kind of key to creativity. Learn to be shit and okay with that. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing as well, is that you know, whenever you accept that um, and you're objective, you know, you're able to kind of go, yeah, that's shit, I need to actually let that go, um, and but not let it completely destroy your, your confidence. You're just like, it's just part of the process. I'm there, but I know I'm gonna get there, but I need to go through that stuff before I get to that, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean it's just the agony of of going through the career process. And I mean, my wife here's, has been listening to. Sorry, uh, uh, sorry, interrupt again just before we move off. It like without telling us like what's the project of like the most heart heartbreaking catastrophic one. Tell tell us what you can about the, the a project that just went to shit. And like how it affected your life and stuff and how you kind of moved past it. We don't need the details on it, but I'm just interested to know how you I don't through think, it. I, I don't think it's any one thing. I would say that really what happened for me was that I was working on about three or four major projects and um, all of which looked really, really like mega positive. So from my point of view, it was kind of like, okay, this is going to be the one that's going to really help me get where I want to go. Um, and then one by one, each of them that seemed to be going somewhere completely blew up and not in a good way, literally just like disintegrated, fell apart. Um, whether that was, you know, with band members falling apart or, you know, not talking to one another um, or, the deal falling through and you know stuff like that um when it whenever it was you know like already there you know um but it was it was a combination of that happening over and over and over again for about three or four years and not having one thing end up getting to where you want it to go um yeah and you then you kind of like really what why why am i why am i doing this um and that it was just soul destroying. You, you know, anybody. It, it's like you. You need to have some kind of encouragement to to feel like what I'm doing here is worthwhile, and I'm actually doing something that is hopefully making a difference that people actually enjoy it, like it, or whatever. Um, but that I'm getting something out of it, and all I was getting out of it was you were wasting my time. I wasn't getting paid. And I was probably getting screwed and somebody else was making money. Um, and I was kind of like, this isn't good. You know? Um, so it it was really, it it wasn't any one thing. It was a a series of things. Mm. And then they just, you kind of go, okay, I'm fine. And you kind of like, yeah, I know that's the business. I know that's the game. Um, but 
I think there's only so much you can take of that before you kind of like, you know what, I need to actually step back from this for a bit because I am literally losing my mind doing this, you know? Um, yeah. Um, and there's only so much you can keep up the facade of being super confident and like, hey, you know, I feel super positive about all this kind of stuff. When you're you're literally dealing with all of that, you know, like this is just all, all turned to shit. Um, and that's that's the really hard thing I think is being able to turn that around and just go right, okay, fine. I'm actually getting back up and I'm coming back and I want to be better than I've ever been. And that's yeah. where my head's at now. And it has literally taken me years, years to kind of get to that space. Um, and I, you know, it's, 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 it's weird, you know, because I think it's kind of like, imagine if, you know, what you were doing, somebody said to you, yeah, you can't actually make money doing this anymore. You're not going to do that. And you kind of had to do other bits and pieces. But you really know that you are who you are. And that's what you need to do to actually feel fulfilled, you know, throughout, throughout the day. I mean, I couldn't imagine you not doing something with a camera, you know. And, yeah. and you know, it's just, it's like, it's like an extension of who you are, you know. It's, it, it, I sort of, the way I kind of think about it is it just sort of rewired my brain to think like, like in terms of visual stuff, like, you know, um, even if I was to jump into like audio engine, it'd be useless, you know, I'd have a certain amount of knowledge from being in the music business this long, but like you kind of become indoctrinated with whatever you're working on. And it's, I, that's both a scary thing, I think, and also a very liberating thing of like, this is what I'm doing. You know, mm -hmm. this is the choice that I think it's... Uh, I it's, think, yeah, um, I think that's a really valid point. You know, like, it's a choice. Um, you know, I don't want to do the woe was me thing. Like totally, thing. yeah. Because, because at the end of the day, it's like, no, I chose to be a musician. This is my choice. I could go and work yeah. in, a, uh, in another industry and, and that'd, be, that'd be fine. You know, yeah. you know I'd want to die, but... Um, and that's the thing that people, people don't get. It's just like, no, I literally feel physically incapable of doing anything else, really. You know? Yeah. You know, and that, that's the, I think that's the struggle. You know, you can like, no. just. I'd love to be able to do something else. I'd love to be able to, to, to be competent in something else and maybe something a little bit more, you know, steady. But I'm just, I'm not, I'm, that's up to other people if I'm good at this, but I don't feel like, Certainly nothing makes me more fulfilled than this. No. You know, um, so I just, even even not making money, even doing it for free, I'd, I would still rather do that mm -hmm. than a job that I couldn't stand. Um, yeah, exactly. For it, you know? So, so how, how have things changed for you over the years from, you know, from when you first started out? Um, how did that evolve into you know, just shooting stuff locally for, for bands and, and acts and that kind of thing to then getting into it with, you know, major record companies and, and being a part of the whole creative process with them? Um, I first have to say that, like, I had no training in this whatsoever. I studied animation and digital art. Um, I was working in this cafe job and had this one arsehole customer that would come in every Saturday um, 
demand that her dish would be made a different way and I lost my cool with her. She was racist to one of the other girls. I threw her dish down in her knee, told her where to go and then promised myself I would never work for anyone again. As an arrogant 19-year-old child, I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to just work for myself. So I, I borrowed my friend's camera. Uh, I never owned a camera up until that point and just trial and error started learning how to do it, you know? Um, and I think... I think it's a, a negative in some respects that I didn't go to film school, but I think it's also a, a positive, positive as well, because I've sort of, I, I see when I've been on other people's film shoots, there's lots of people standing around that don't need to be there. I'm mm -hmm. like, so what does the second assistant director do right now with the third assistant director isn't doing? You know, there's, yeah. you know it yourself, in every creative industry, when things are done at the professional top level, there's been lots and lots of people just standing around, justifying his existence, middle market and middle men um, and women. Um, so funny, because um, I was doing, I'm not going to, I won't mention the client, but I was doing a, a rec I was recording a voiceover, I was engineering it but there was a guy who's in the booth who was who was doing it and it was a a phone link down to to london and so the, the guy down in london was recording and i was doing a, a, a sort of safety copy where i was but the actual voiceover guy was in the booth with me and the client was in london with the engineer down there and there was three people from the client side of things that were all sitting there and they all had something to say about every single take that this guy was doing. And I'm like, I, tur I turned to him and I'm like, Dude, you had this on take two. And they're on take 16. Yeah. Um, and then I really felt for the, for the engineer in London as well, because he was, he was kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe there was something there that we could use from that. And, and you, you just knew that he was playing the game, you know, and trying to keep everybody happy. But, like you say, justifying their existence. You're like, we don't need Karen sitting there talking about maybe if you use that word there. Really? What the? Nobody gives a shit what you think, Karen. You know, yeah. it's it's just you're justifying your existence and the reason why you have your lovely high paying job. You know, and I hate that. I hate that people being there for no reason. You know, absolutely. And that was one of the things that we've tried to kind of cut down of we've came to a sort of very naturalistic process. I direct, I shoot everything and edit everything by myself. Um, even though there's eight or nine of us there um, and various different roles and stuff. It's just allowed us to work really, really fast and just cut out all the sort of like naysayers, you know, like. See, I think this is where you and I like really connect from a creative point of view is that we both don't really give a shit about the technical side of things. It's like, it's a, a functionality. Absolutely. It's a functionality yeah. to, to actually, okay, I've got this idea in my head. All right, here, I hear, I see it or whatever, and I need to get there. What's the shortest distance between, between these two points? I do not need to know about this. You know, it's certainly like from the audio engineering perspective, there's a whole bunch of maths stuff in there that I'm like, okay, I just don't understand this. I don't, really want to understand it and literally i want to know that if i press that button it's going to get that sound and, I, I and you'll like, also i imagine as well from even just uh, like recording i 
a lot of my sound production friends go a little bit crazy about mics and they're like, oh, this is a £15,000 mic and stuff. And, Who gives a you shit? know, you can do amazing things with just a, a 58. It really just depends on what you're trying to do and your ability to take and elevate what you've got rather than... I know plenty of people that have went to all the best film schools on earth and their material it's is terrible. awful. Yeah. You know, and, because they and it's never the same, had to learn anything, you know? It's the same with everything. Um, you know, that... My favourite one is when people say, um, can you teaching songwriting? I'm like, really? Teaching songwriting? I mean, you can give people tips on things, but to yeah. literally, when somebody... If, if I, if I was working with a singer and a singer says to me, what I really want to do is write songs. I said, have you written any songs? No, then don't. Because they're going to be shit. Because it's like, for me, it's like something, it's just instinctive. You have to, it's like you've got music inside of you, you've got to get it out. And obviously yeah, you're there's a, Yeah, and obviously there's a craft to it and experience and all that side of things. But unless you actually start and it comes from somewhere in the first place, then you can't teach somebody how to be creative. There's a whole, and it really annoys me about the, the music businesses, there's a whole sort of um, subculture of music business talks of like, yeah, come down to this seminar, come down to this concert, we'll get these music business um, experts down and they're going to teach you how I to be famous. And I, and I keep reminding people, I was like, if anyone knew how to be famous, they'd write a book and charge yeah. 15 grand for it. You know, it's everyone that I know is who's incredibly talented. The people that I admire the most would never go to any of that because they have no time. They're weird introverts that never really left their house or bedroom or never really mm -hmm. leave the studio or the place that they're working on. And, you know, they're just, like you said, you can't, some of it can be learned, of course, and a lot of it is down to oh. practice. And you can take someone that's like, you know, you can practice and become pretty competent at something, but what we're talking about, like the real magic in people, and I'm fortunate enough to know very a lot of talented people. It's you can't you can't teach it. They were born with it. It was conditioned. You know, I don't know what happened, but it's a magic that just can't be acquired yeah. at a music business conference. No, I mean, and I hate all that stuff. You know, you get people just sitting around, you know, patting themselves on the back, or oh, I think this and I think that. And I'm like, really? And any time I've ever gone to any of those things i just i'm like you think there's times i'm thinking i really should go and go to some more industry things even like locally um and just sort of see what you know see what's happening and then i go to one every couple of years or whatever and i'm like oh yeah, yeah. and i'm reminded why you know i i hate these things it's just it's, I, it's i'm just the same with like the the the, the film side of things of I think it's quite, an, and even though Scotland is really, really good for musicians, I think it can sometimes tend to be quite an insular place and we're kind of almost held back. I can only really speak to the film side about this a little bit more and the sort of music video side is there's about four or five guys out there in Scotland that are making absolutely ridiculous stuff. Really, really, really talented people, both guys and girls, but the rest are not really that good and they make stuff and they submit it for competitions and then they win the competitions or we won the Glasgow local whatever and they pat themselves on the back. But I think mm -hmm. these other people, like, I've always, I feel tried, their world, I think you can judge someone as like, rather than I am the best in Glasgow or best in Scotland, 
you really have to start comparing yourself in an international level because it's easy to be a big fish in a small pond. But I think a lot of people get to a level here. They stop at that level and then they're like, okay, well, I don't really need to learn anymore. I can get my clients. I can do this. But yeah. I think it's really sad because there's plenty of people with plenty of potential if only we, you know, sort of showcase this against the world a little bit more, you know? But I think that works the same way with, with music. You know, and there's so many people... I hate whenever artists say, yeah, I'm applying for a grant to get this album recorded. I'm like, you know, can't do it yourself. You know, it's like, you you literally have to apply for a grant because this album will never get made. And that tends to be the criteria for getting arts grants that um, this will, this music will never see the light of day unless we fund it. And you can like, well, guess what? Maybe it shouldn't be funded, you know. And it's you have to you have to actually prove in in your for, whenever you're filling out the forms for these things that it actually has no commercial potential whatsoever. And it's like, what? So why are I'm we kind of 50, pissing 50, away 50. money? Yeah, I'm fifty fifty on that. Like, there is some things where, at like, particularly like art, where I am very glad I saw it, and I'm very glad it got put in front of my eyes because. Commercially, it would have just not a work. Yeah. But what I mean, you're describing as well is like, I think people that take the piss out of the system. Yeah, is I like, mean, I think there's something. things that are of cultural significance and you can, like, yeah. that are of true artistic value. You're like, damn right, totally. But it's the people that you can, like, you're actually just not that great um, and you don't actually deserve to get money to get an album out there. And if you're really that focused on what it is that you're doing, then you will find a way yourself instead of going to an arts council and begging for money. I think also like that that way of doing it, you learn a lot more about it. I mean, you should have that sort of like, I don't think, I don't find it very helpful when some, we've got an idea and someone gives us like either the green light or money for it straight away. Usually we've got ideas above our station and we're like, mm. well, how are we going to do this? We, we shot a, um, very late last year, a World War One music video. Um, and we're like, how are we going to do that? We want tanks in it. We want soldiers. We want all this thing. So I've got an, an animation background. I was like, okay, I'll animate the tanks myself. We'll go find a big scale model of a tank this guy has down in Birmingham. I'll knock on his door on a Tuesday afternoon ask him to put it in front of a green screen so I can use it as a model. Like the things that your art, whatever you choose to do, I believe evolves when you are pigeonholed in like, okay, I wasn't able to get 10 grand. I've got 75 quid and gaffer tape. What can I do now with it? You know, I'd <laughs> well, like that, to that's when it. That's when the creativity happens. If somebody asked me this yeah. the other day, you said, how did you, you know, kind of know your, that you could do this, the marketing side of things as well. I'm like, because it's creativity. And and you're literally just forced to be creative whenever you don't have a budget for things. You know, and that's and that's when so many of the best ideas happen. You're kind of like, okay, what I'd really like to do is this, but we have no money at all. How can we actually do it? You know, and that's when that's when all of the really fun stuff can happen. And it, you go, I feel it's like as cheesy as it sounds, you do grow as a person and you develop as an artist and the the things that I'm able to take the, the failures and the hits a lot more in my stride because 
I've had all of those experiences of being like, well, I made something out of nothing. So even though I didn't get what exactly what I wanted there, I've pulled things out of my arse before and I will continue mm-hmm. to do for the rest of my life, you know? But I think, you know, I'm sure you 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 feel the, the same. It's like whenever there is literally, there's nothing there. There's nothing there other than an idea. And then to actually then see it come to life, whether whether that's, you know, in the recording studio or, you know, on, on a set. And then to see it and it's there, it's like, whoa, you know, we, we did that. You know, and there's that, no better feeling at all when, when you sit back and you look at the thing that you've been making or you, it starts to work. Um, it's, it, it is one of the, 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 the purest joys of my life having that sort of, I don't know, it's, it's so hard to quantify. It's an X factor of a feeling, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I absolutely live and I'm addicted to those moments of getting back to that. We're surrounded with people that you love, that you're working with, and people that are way more talented than you and getting together in a room and just, it, it feels like magic. That sounds cheesy to say, but it is, feels like a kind okay, of magic. it's me. I'm, I'm the, the Gorgonzola king. So <laughs> cheese all the way. Right, I mean, we could obviously blether for hours and hours, but um, I'm, I just want to finish with one question for you. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to people kind of starting off in the, the creative industries, really, um, and particularly, you know, music industry-wise, um, and maybe the visual arts, what, what would that be? I think uh, the first thing I'd, I'd do is um, say, take everything I uh, say with a grain of salt because I have no qualification in film whatsoever. I'm entirely self-taught, um, but also take that as a bit of an example. If I can do it, really anyone can do it, you know? I think that really, um, like, the kind of things that I live by is repetition is the mother and mother effort of all skill. Like, it really, really sometimes comes down to putting down the time into it, you know? Um, you can, people, some of the most talented people I know are lazy, yeah. who are good at one thing, and they kind of just sit back in their laurels. You can become quite proficient at something if you put the time in. And what we were talking about earlier, accept failure and just keep pushing through. And the other one is like, a music business one I really, really like is Decca turned down the Beatles. Like Decca sat in a room and were like, Beatles are no good. We're not going to sign the Beatles, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a horrific mistake on their part. People, people don't always know what's good for you and people don't always know what's right. And unfortunately, people don't start signing on to a project until they can see it's making money or the, the train has already begun to leave the station. Yeah. There's no point in waiting on a train station for like the train to come. You've got to build that train. You've got to make the train station. You've got to take the effort. How and the far are you yourself. taking this analogy? I know. I'm like, I'm like, really miss build, being on trains. Build, build, a, sta- is, build a station and then there's going to be like, you know, a village where the station, you know. Okay. Yeah. And but, drive past fail town. Exactly. <laughs> but no, but it's so true. It is, it's, it's so true. Um, and, but you know, I think the ultimate piece of advice is um, that it doesn't matter because you know as well as I do incredibly talented people that, um, that I'll give you an example. Um, this woman, I know she was a female STEM teacher, you know, science and technology, mm-hmm. and she was big, big on girls getting into science and tech, right? 
and she was going off for about 20 minutes about how this is great. And I was like, I agree, this is 100%. Women are underrepresented in these fields. But let me point out something to you. You are only where you are right now because people told you you could not be that thing. I think that it's really, really hard to stop great people being great, yeah. you know? So I think that regardless of what advice you hear on a podcast, if you're destined to be great, there's, there's no stopping you, you know? I, I completely agree. I got, I, got, I got some really great advice um, recently. And it, it actually, I, I heard it a few years ago, but I didn't accept it. Um, and it's through everything that we've been talking about that I kind of was like, no, he's actually right. And this is down to me. And, uh, and it's always the advice that I always give to everybody else. And I'm always, I'm always the guy that's giving everybody else a kick up the ass. But it was literally, you know, if you want to su succeed at something, yeah, and in particular, the music industry, if you're talented and you work hard and you network, you will get somewhere. It's, you know, it's really just a case of, are you going to put in the work? Uh, and if one of those things isn't happening, then no, that's not going to happen. But provided you are actually talented, you work hard, and you do network, then something's going to happen. No guarantee you're going to make it massively big and successful, but you get somewhere. And I think uh, that's the thing. Just to tag up on that, just very quickly, is that you just struck on it there is like the first question I always ask someone when they recommend someone to me or say someone's interested in working with me, I'm like, are they good people? Don't, just don't be a dick. Like, the word travels fast in most industries who's bad and who's just a not comfortable person to be around like you attract more flies with honey rather than vinegar there's no excuse to be a dick you know mm -hmm. be a good person be nice to people and great things can happen i think maybe it's just because i'm really getting old but um the thing is for me as well is that i just don't want to i'm not going to spend time with anybody like that you know if i'm somebody if i have one session with somebody and they're utterly unbearable i will never work with them again just like yeah. that and whereas before I'd be kind of like yeah okay fine you just carry on you know but now I'm just like no life is too short to deal with stress or to and for me from the whole creative side of things I don't feel I can give my best work if I actually hate the person that I work with yeah you know? you're doing them a disservice by tolerating their, exactly. their bullshit mm -hmm. you know anyway dude let's call it quits because we're gonna we're gonna we could be here for on. hours, we, we days, really weeks. Um, anyways, now it gets to the fun stuff. We can get to the after dark podcast. <laughs> talk about real shit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite tempting actually. Though We're, we would um, kill our careers in like. Oh, I mean, literally, minutes. it's like let's talk about that person. We um, can. No, no, be bad. Can. Anyway, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye.